Amen. I cannot get that song out of my head. That's going to be a problem, a real problem. You can't change. I'm sorry. It's in my head. Becky was, uh, might have been whatever day it was over the holidays, she was watching the Stella Awards, I think, or it was on TV, and Marvin Winans was singing that song. And so I went and found it on YouTube. My mom was with us at the time, and, and uh, she and I sat at the computer and cried and listened to it and cried and listened to it, and it just moved me unbelievably. And um, so lo and behold, of course I should have known this, it was written by Brother Andre Crouch, and uh, I don't know how it missed me over all these years, but it did. But um, I found out about it, mentioned it to Brent and Gerard, and Gerard said, oh yeah. And Gerard, of course, sang on the original recording in the background vocals with Andre on it, so that's why he knew it, of course. He sings on everything, knows everything about all that. So, <clears throat> I'm still recovering from that song this morning, and I, uh, I don't know about you, but I feel the presence of the Lord in this place today. I don't know exactly what God's up to, but he's up to something, and all I know is my heart's ready to say, Lord, amen. Let the church say amen. I prepared a completely different message for today. And uh, could not get comfortable with it. Those of you who, who speak the word know exactly what I'm talking about. Maybe the timing will be right. <clears throat> and then yesterday morning I felt the Lord take me another direction. So I'm, I'm trusting him today. Our week of fasting and that it was designated for us as a church has, has come to a completion. And the testimonies are certainly coming in. Even still this morning and some people have said, well, the Lord, during my week of fast, the Lord revealed this to me or showed this to me or, the, or that particular thing, and I became aware of this or that, and it was, many said it was, man, this was very, very intense, a very, very intense week for them, and some people said, I just got really hungry. They got really hungry. <laughs> Other observations, some people said, um, you know, um, I got to be honest, Dan, all hell broke loose for me this week. And uh, one of the most challenging weeks of my life, and I, it was, you know, I, I was pretty much miserable. And so, you know what, folks, that should not be particularly surprising to us if that happens. If we're crazy if we think that the enemy is elated over the fact that we as a church decided to consecrate ourselves to God for this week. And uh, that he's going to roll over and play dead. So I'm not surprised that some had that that situation and that was your circumstance. If that was true for you, don't let that dissuade you from fasting in the future or from spiritual exercise. It really means that you accomplished something and you should probably be congratulated for that. So whatever the response was, whatever happened, we just say, great, we lift it to the Lord, blessed be the name of the Lord. And what matters most is that we have declared to the heavens, Lord, we are yours to command where you lead us. And I certainly pray that as a congregation, we have set the tone for 2016 for this year and, and for this season. And who knows, the Lord may call some of you to, uh, to be engaged in a personal fast throughout the year. If he calls you to do that, you want to be obedient. It's extremely important that we have made it clear that more than anything, we desire God's will, God's way, and God's purpose in our lives. Is anybody with me on that this morning? That's the cry of your heart as well. And we're asking for the abundance of his grace to help us to walk it out for the glory of the name of Jesus. And the church said, 
Amen. Well, Pastor Michael invited you to the prayer service tonight, and I want to add my invitation to that. I know it's cold outside, but it's warm inside the prayer meeting for sure. You know, we do, we, we pray for corporately for needs. We partake in the Lord's Supper. We uh, pray for requests that have been sent into the church through the various means of a wonderful time of worship. And most often we try to make a place for you to be prayed for individually. We'll be doing that tonight for your needs. And so I'm just inviting you again. Make it the pattern of your year that you attend the prayer service. I, I've said it before and, and I will say it again that that prayer service that we have at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night, that is the engine that drives this church. And uh, you're going to hear more about that in, in, in just a little bit. But before I do that, where I want to go this morning is I, I, want to, I want us to look at the first prayer meeting that took place in the newly birthed church in the book of Acts. That's where I felt we should go today. We know that the church was birthed in Acts chapter 2. Uh, and But we're going to be, I want to take you up close and personal, as it were, to the prayer meeting that followed that birthing of the church. And the story that marches up to that meeting takes place in Acts 3 and 4. It happens right after the day of Pentecost that, you, that you're familiar with. And you know this story well. It's when Peter and John are going up to the temple and they see a man that is outside begging and who asks them to give him alms. And though they're not able to give him any money, we get from this great story that incredible line when Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. We know that story so well and that the entire town is stirred by what happened. And not only does the man get up and walk, but the Bible tells us that he was walking and leaping and, and praising God. And, and uh, I just happened to notice this as I was reading it again yesterday. Chapter 4 even gives us the approximate age of this, of this, uh, this, this beggar, this lame man. Uh, he was roughly 40 years old. Or he was a middle-aged man, as we might say today. And some of you, we have a few folks around here who have just turned 40, and I'd like to welcome you to the middle age. I know you'd love to hear that. And you're excited about that, but that's where you are. There's a few over in this vicinity right here that I'm, I'm spe especially um, admonishing today. Dan, stop it. Just stop it right there. Stop it. But what it reminds us is this. Nobody, the story that this happened to this guy who just turned 40, that nobody is off limits to God. His miracles are not just for the young not just for children, not just for the old, but even the middle-aged. And all the middle-aged people said, there's a few of you here, thank God. But guess what happens when all of this takes place? This man is walking and leaping and praising God, and this incredible dynamic miracle has taken place. And, but the religious people get all upset because of a name that keeps coming up. And it's the name we sang about this morning. It's the name above all names, and it is the name of the name of Jesus, and that upsets them. And so it's because of the use of his name that Peter and John get in trouble. And that's where the story starts for us in Acts chapter 4, if you'll follow along with me. Uh, Acts 4, let's start with verse 1. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there is a resurrection of the dead. They arrested them, and since it was already evening, they put them in jail until the morning. So just for doing this miracle, they're going to spend the night in jail, we, we see here. Verse 4, but many of the people 
who heard their message believed it. So the number of believers now totaled about 5,000 men, and that did not even include uh, the women and children. So now they're going to put Peter and John through the third degree and place them in front of the authorities. Uh, Verse 7 shows us, and they're going to start to question them. And then we come to verse 8 that says this, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? And also, do you want to know how he was healed? And I want us to see here in the next verse 10 uh, how we have this constant emphasis on this one phrase that keeps coming up. Verse 10, Peter says, So let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the one you crucified but whom God raised from the dead. So let's be clear about this. He's saying it's by that name that this man stands here today in good health. By the name of Jesus. Lord, I'm going to obey you right now. Someone's being healed in this room. Didn't plan that. But your presence is in this place today, mighty God. And I call upon the name of Jesus. It's the name above every other name. I gladly get out of the way for you to do your work in us today, mighty King. Touch today, Jesus. Touch today, Jesus. Touch today, Jesus. It's by the name of Jesus and only by the name of Jesus that this healing comes. Look at verse 12. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were just ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Peter simply says in verses 10 Verses 12, he says, it is in that name, the name of Jesus, and by no other name that these things can take place. So what happens is this, as the story goes on. Peter and John are sent out of the room so that the authorities can confer amongst themselves. Then we get taken to verse 17. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further... We must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back in, and they commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied this way, Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than Him? Here's what we have to make you understand. We cannot stop telling about everything that we have seen and heard. Because the fire is within them. They can't stop it. They can't stop telling what they have seen. My friends, that is passion. It's what we're praying for this year, that we will be strong in passion, firm in faith. 
It was a famous pastor from California who went to be with the Lord just a few years ago, Dr. E.V. Hill, who said in a book that he wrote, he said, Peter stood up and said, it's impossible for us to stop. Dr. Hill said, I can't stop saying that name because I have this chronic condition. It's called the I can't help it condition. He says, we couldn't stop it if we wanted to. We couldn't stop it in spite of you. We couldn't stop it if you threatened us. We can't turn it off and we can't turn it on. Dr. Hill says in the words of Peter, you all got to do what you all got to do and we going to do what we got to do. But we just can't stop because we have this illness called the I can't help it illness. You can't change it. You can't rearrange it. God has spoken. Let the church say amen. And so he says, we can't help it. We're going to say that name over and over and over and over again because there is no name above the mighty name of Jesus. That's exactly what Peter was saying. I can't stop it because of what I've seen and heard. Peter says, we saw him turn water into wine. We saw him scream into a tomb, Lazarus, come forth, and the man was raised to life. We saw him take your own town demoniac in the graveyard and make him an educated, sold-out Christian man. And you want us to stop speaking? I don't think so. That's impossible. For we have found that in the name of Jesus, there is power to set people free. Hallelujah. Oh, somebody surely has a hallelujah this morning. Because in that name, people can be delivered. Lame people can rise up. That's why it doesn't ever make any sense to me why any place would call yourself a church and never speak of the name of Jesus or of His power. For He is the center. He is the subject. He should be the sermon. He should be our full attention today in the place of any place that calls yourself a church. Listen, I may be old school, and I know that. Call me fuddy-duddy, call me fanatical, whatever you want to call me. But I do not understand any church who would even dare to be in existence to do any other thing than exalt the name of Christ. Believe me, I know what it is to attend a pastor's conference where you hear seminar speakers on church growth and all that stuff. And I have a confession to make to you today that I am terrible of all the things I'm bad at. And there's a long list. I'm particularly terrible at preacher shop talk. I'm no good at it. And you would be embarrassed for me if you saw me in that situation because I'm extremely awkward with it. I'm, I'm, I'm just terrible at it. You know, they take breaks between speakers and they serve refreshments and pastors stand around and talk. And so a pastor came to me at a conference I attended about a year or so ago. And he reads my name badge and he says, so you're Smith from Fort Worth. I said, yes, that's, that's correct. So how long you been there? None of your business. No, I didn't say that. I thought it, I didn't say it. So the next thing kind of, I, I was totally taken back by. So um, in Fort Worth there, so what business model are you going after in building Bethesda? Are you going after the Starbucks model, like many of us are, in building the church there? Now obviously, I'm not opposed to having a coffee shop in a church. But that was an extremely awkward moment for me. And I, I, I don't want to appear to be an arrogant prude. But honestly, in my mind, I'm simply thinking, no, sir, we have nothing to build the church on but the powerful name of Jesus. That's what we're building the church on in Fort Worth. 
It was good enough for the book of Acts, and it's good enough for us. There is no other name, church. There is no other name. We may have powerful names in our country. There may be famous people who have accomplished great things. Yesterday, our son, youth pastor Shaler Smith, was flying back from Nashville, and he texted us that he was while waiting in the Nashville airport. He came right across Nicole Kidman. That would be a fun thing, you know, if you see some movie star. And I, I think she lives there with whoever her husband is, the country singer, I think. And uh, she might be powerful enough to be ushered through the airport with a carefully choreographed strategy that was fun for him to observe how there was absolutely no waiting anywhere. She doesn't have to wait anywhere. They've got, there's a carefully choreographed plan with no stopping from whatever place she came through right to her seat in the plane. And that's wonderful. I'm, I'm happy for her. That's nice. And while we may think highly of names from Hollywood Church or we may think highly of names from Washington, D.C., you may, Please let me clear, be clear what Peter was saying on that day. He said this, and I'm saying it again because I'm echoing what we started our worship with today. There is no other name that is more powerful that can set people free other than the magnificent name of Jesus. And I don't know about you. But I want that same disease that says, I just can't help it. I've just got to boldly, boldly declare his name. And so they release Peter and John from prison. They don't even want them around. And verse 23 of chapter 4 of Acts says this. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. Let me read it again. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. This first caught my attention because there's something for us to see here as they're being let out of prison. As soon as they were freed, they returned to the other believers. Those of you who are parents certainly realize the importance of the company that your children keep. And the truth is, that's not only true for our children, but it's true for us as well. It would behoove all of us to remember what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 when he said, bad, bad company corrupts good character. Do you know that I can tell you what your future is going to look like? I want you to hold out your hand just like this, everybody in the room. Balcony, tech booth, everybody in the room. Hold out your hand just like this. Hold up five fingers. Now, just as fast as you can, I want you to think of your five closest friends. Becky, Bubba, Bubba's cousin. Think of your five closest friends, whomever, whomever it is. You can put your hands down. Okay, you ready for this? You show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Like it or not, that group will determine what you'll be. And that's what Paul tells us. He says, bad company corrupts good character. Just think for a moment who you put on that list quickly as you ran through it. And think what they're doing. Maybe they're living in rebellion. Maybe they're running far from God. And I'm not saying this morning you shouldn't have non 
Christian friends. Of course, I'm not saying that. But I am saying this. There is a huge difference between fellowship and ministry. Huge difference. Because the Bible tells us clearly that light cannot have fellowship with darkness. Which means my fellowship is with the body of Christ. When I'm with non-believers, it's called ministry. Fellowship is with the body of Christ. I don't think I'm convincing all of you today. The problem is this. When you start to have fellowship with those who are not saved. If I'm hanging out with you and you're not a Christian, trust me. My goal is not to be your buddy. My goal is to get you to Jesus. The problem we have is when you try to make this world your buddy because notice this, it is so much easier to pull somebody down than it is to pull somebody up. And much of the time the issue that, that you're reaching, you're, you're trying to pull them up, but you're not pulling them up, they're pulling you down because you're trying to have fellowship when you should be having ministry. Because bad company corrupts good character. And I think we can say the opposite of that, that good company promotes good character. Parents, that's why, and you don't need me to tell you this, you know this, I just encourage you again as we start this year, you need to pray for your children's relationships. I said you need to pray for your children's relationships. Keep a close eye on who they're hanging out with. And here's the most interesting part of this verse that we just read, 423, when they were released To whom did they go? When Peter and John were released from prison, where did they go? There's a lesson in that for us. When you are given freedom, where do you go? Who do you hang with? When you are no longer, for whatever reason, under the restrictions of your parents, who do you go to? When you suddenly have received your liberty and your freedom and you are no longer under any restrictions from your spouse, To whom do you go? When you are given freedom, Teen Challenge, and you're not under the restrictions of Teen Challenge, ladies, where do you go? When Peter and John were just let out of jail, who were they looking for? Who were they looking to be with? Because here's the thing. Who you look for determines what your future looks like. I'm telling you the truth today. And that's the point. Who do you drift towards when liberty is granted to you? Because liberty will reveal to you that which is in you. Selah. Liberty will reveal to you exactly what is in you. Let me further explain this by showing you two sons and what each of them drifted toward. What about the prodigal son? son? You would never know that there was this lustful, promiscuous young man by watching him in the field by his home working for his dad. But the moment he's given money and liberty, he finds prostitutes. As soon as he's given resources and liberty, where does he drift? But when Peter and John get their liberty from prison, they drift right back to their covenant relationships in the church, right back to their brothers and sisters in Christ who are about to go into a prayer meeting. But the prodigal drifts the other way. And listen to me, no one becomes a prodigal overnight. It doesn't happen in an hour or in a moment. It's something that is dwelling in them over time, and they just learn how to hide it. There's another son. How about this other son when 
he loses the restraint of his parents just before he's 13 years old. And he finds himself not drifting toward harlots, but drifting toward the rabbis inside the temple, talking with the priests and questioning them. And the son I'm speaking about is who? None other than our Lord Jesus Christ. When Mary, and only the Lord knows how this could have happened, she forgets, she loses Jesus. And she doesn't notice it until they're a few days into the journey. Oh, where's Jesus? He's not here. So they go back and get him. And when they find him without restraint of parental guidance, they find him hanging out with the priests and asking questions. So I have to ask you this morning, who do you hang out with when the restraint of work is taken off? Who do you hang out with, sir, when your wife takes the kids and goes to visit her mother? Who do you drift toward in that moment? Because that determines what your future will look like. Well, Peter and John found themselves going to a prayer meeting, and here's what happens. Again, I'm at chapter 4, verse 23. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. So now we're inside the first early church prayer meeting. We're right here. And we're going to hear the words that they pray. Do you ever wonder what to pray? You ever get in a prayer meeting and it seems like everybody else has got words to pray? We're going to hear actual words to pray. Verse 24, when they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. Oh, sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, You spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, Why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this has happened here in this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And here we go. Verse 31. After this prayer, the meeting place shook And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they preached the Word of God with boldness. Look with me at what happens when the church gathers to pray. We see that, first of all, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, we know that they were filled with the Spirit. And now here we are in Acts chapter 4, and again, they are filled with the Holy Spirit. You'll pardon this personal story. It was about this time a year ago that our daughter was about to be married to Christopher Cooper. And Becky and I had not met his parents. They live in Chillicothe, Missouri, an hour and a half or so outside of Kansas City. And so we figured it was was early December of 14. We thought our daughter's about to marry this boy. We ought to meet his family. might be a good idea. And so we, we contacted them. Got an email address, and I was writing. It was actually his, his mother, Julie, that I, I wrote. And uh, I said, we would like to get acquainted with you. And Becky and I are willing to fly up to Kansas City, and we'll come to where you are. And, 
And then she graciously wrote back, says, no, uh, Fritz and I will pick you up at the airport and we'll go into Kansas City and have a meal. And then she wrote this line that terrified me. She said, there's something you need to know about us. And I'm thinking, dear God, what are we about to get into? What's my daughter about to marry into? There's something, and it froze right there. And that was at the bottom of the screen. I, could, I had to scroll to see the next line, and I couldn't make myself do it. Finally, when I got up my nerve, she said, there's something about us that you need to know. And I scrolled. She said, we are born-again, spirit-filled believers. And I wrote back and I said, that will not be a problem with Becky and I. <clears throat> so we set the date. It was early December of last year. And Becky and I did a day trip to Kansas City. And, and uh, they graciously were there. Wonderful people. Salt of the earth kind of folks. Fabulous folks. And uh, we had a delightful time at a lovely restaurant down in the plaza area. Those of you familiar with Kansas City, is a lovely area. And we sat down to eat and just, you know, ordered our food. And it immediately, these folks, Fritz and Julie, had the same problem that Peter and John had. They had a case of, I can't help it. Both of them had had such a dynamic encounter with Jesus through the person of the Holy Spirit. They both had to give us their, their testimony. First Fritz and then, and then Julie, and they had separate stories, and he came from a background of business, and she had come from a, a Catholic background, and, and they, they gave us the story of what had taken place, and they were obviously so, so full of passion for the Lord Jesus, and it was so heartening, and, and you know, and it was, it, I was, let me just say this, I was particularly struck by Julie because Julie is, a, she's a tax accountant. That means she's a bean counter, Okay. How many of you know bean, any, a bean counter? You know what I mean by that? A bean counter. A bean counter is a person who counts beans. <laughs> and typically, that kind of person, they're extremely pragmatic, very common sense. That, that seemed to be all true of her. And I, but I kept, you know, I knew that's what her background was. I mean, bean counters, they, they, they count beans. They do this with beans. They count beans. But even in the midst of her very common sense, feet on the ground, middle America, pragmatic nature that was within her was this undeniable passion for the Lord Jesus, in particular their encounter that they'd had through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so I'm just sitting there quietly listening and, in, and enjoying, um, enjoying their, their testimonies. I'm trying really hard not to dominate the conversation so Becky doesn't have to kick me under the table. And... Um, you know, Dan, shut up, let somebody else talk. Shut up, let somebody else talk. And, and I hear their story when all of a sudden the question comes from, from Christopher's mother. And she says, so you're a pastor. Let me ask you this theological question. Great. <laughs> I was just here to have, you know, a nice time. So it seemed to me that this question had probably been uh, a rather hot topic in the Bible studies that they were conducting in their home. And she said, you know, and if, this is after I've heard their story about the Holy Spirit. She said, uh, um, she said, do you believe when you receive the Holy Spirit it happens all at one time? Or do you believe it's something that is, happens over time, that it's progressive? 
And let me just tell you in that moment, because I, you know, she kind of built it up. And I'm thinking, what's the question going to be? Are we going to talk, talk about pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, you know, e- eternal security, once saved, always. What, where are we going to go with this? And is this going to be a deal breaker? My daughter's going to kill me if I give the wrong answer here. That's what's going through my head when, this is, when she finally asked the question. When the question came out, I breathed a sigh of relief. Like, oh, phew. And here's what went through my head. Thank God I spent 33 years with Des Evans. Thank, just for a moment like this. Thank God. Because I got this one. Because she asked the question, do you think it happens at one time? And I said, Julie, I think it's both. Because the book of Acts makes it clear that there is the end suddenly. And suddenly, punctiliar point in time. And suddenly, there appeared unto them cloven tongues as as a fire that set over each of them. And, and there was a rushing mighty wind. There was the suddenly that happened. And they spoke with tongues. But then, however, Paul, I think it's also continuous. Because Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians very, very clearly. He says, don't be drunk with wine. That will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the actual Greek construction there of the verb, if you look at it closely, when he says be filled, is it's meaning be being filled. It is a present continual tense. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Dwight L. Moody used to say all the time, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. And finally, somebody asked him this, why do you keep saying that? Why do you keep saying be being filled? Why do you keep saying that over and over? He says, I can tell you why very simply. Because I leak. How many know what he's talking about? The problem is that we're trying to live the Christian life on getting filled one time. And we forget to check the gauges that would tell us that we've been leaking. And they tell us that every day, every morning when we wake up, we need to be continually be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh God, fill me up with your Holy Spirit that I can be used by you. Because we live in a society, dear one, I know you know this, where it's always poking holes at us. Everywhere you go. Everything you do, it's poking holes in you. You go to work and they're poking holes. You go to school, students, and they're poking holes. Sometimes in your marriage, it feels like your, your spouse is poking holes or your children are poking holes. That's why we gather to pray. That's why we gather as the church of the Lord Jesus to pray so that you can go out tomorrow filled again with the Holy Spirit. And face that professor, and face that supervisor, and face that two-year-old. And all the moms said. And then the Bible tells us this. When they had prayed, the place was shaken. I am so glad that's in the Bible because I think it is so often true that before God can use us, He does shake us. How many of you have ever seen this on a bottle of medicine, of liquid medicine, shake well before using? And I think so often that's what God has to do, and I think that's where some of you are today. Because there's this sediment that sinks to the bottom, and I can almost hear God saying, I want to use you, 
but I've got a little bit of shaking here first to get just the right consistency for the job I have for you. I've got to shake it up because all the sediment's down at the bottom. And if you don't get shaken, then you can't be at the right consistency for God to use you. You know, that's probably not good news to you today, but that may be exactly what you're facing. Because we, we want to be shaken so we'll be fresh with God every day in 2016. The truth is, as hard as it is for me to say this, as bad as I don't want to say it, I need to be shaken. And dear friend, you need to be shaken as well. Once you start doing this Christian thing by rote, church, sing, hallelujah, up. God bless you. It gets very boring very quick. Very quick. Sometimes God needs to shake us up. It feels weird when it happens. Feels like all hell's breaking loose when it happens. But he's shaking us up so that the right consistency is within you. So that you can be what he needs you to be for this hour and for this season, for this year of 2016. The first recorded prayer meeting of the early church in the New Testament is an There's this amazing prayer, and I don't want you to miss this. I'm going to close in a minute sometime today, I promise. Because we literally get the words that they prayed right after they had left this persecuted moment. And this should speak volumes to us. It has to me. They just spent the night in jail for for praying for a lame man in the name of Jesus. Upon their release, they've gone back to church, back to the local fellowship, and they walk right into the prayer meeting, and, 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 and what they pray ought to get our attention this morning. Hopefully, this is going to help somebody here. We just read it a moment ago, Acts 4, verses 24 through 30, that long passage that I read. As we go into 2016, we are entering it with no idea of what's going to happen. But here's what should catch our attention as we look at this prayer meeting and what exactly they were praying. And I want to let you know this. We're going to do this tonight at 6 o'clock. This very thing I'm getting ready to tell you is going to happen at 6 o'clock in the prayer service tonight. Here's what they were doing. They were praying the Psalms. Think about it. They come out of this moment of being persecuted for healing this man. The religious people come against them. They go to the prayer meeting. They start praying the Psalms. And it struck me. As I read, they're praying that? I could think of other things. They're praying that. There must be something to this. Praying the Psalms. There must be something to it. Because when Christ is hanging on the cross, he's praying the Psalms. If you think I'm not telling you the truth, check out Psalm 31, Psalm 22. And when you read the seven stations of the cross, Jesus is praying the Psalms. So when Christ, hear me, is facing his most difficult time on earth, where does he go? He goes to the Psalms and uses that as his prayer language. The apostles use the Psalms as their prayer language. And the one that's going to blow you away is Someone in the, one of the worst situations of disobedience that we've ever known, we've talked about him recently, that we have in recorded, uh, in recorded scripture. Someone we all know about prayed nine different psalms from the most unbelievable spot in the belly of a whale. Go read Jonah chapter 2 and see if I'm telling you the truth. 
See how Jonah prayed nine different psalms in the belly of that fish. We dare not cast off the book of Psalms as simply a songbook. There is prayer language in there for you. And I'm calling a challenge to you today, O consecrated Bethesda. Let's learn to pray the Psalms. We're going to do it tonight. In fact, I'm asking you to do this. I'm asking you to bring your Bible with you tonight. If you happen to forget it, don't turn around and go back. I'll, I'll have something for you. Bring your Bible with you tonight. It would be great if you wanted to pre-select what psalm you're going to pray. I'm not calling you out individually. It's not going to be an individual thing. But I want you to be prepared to pray a psalm for your life. And you check it out this afternoon and come prepared for that tonight. When you consider that Peter and John and the church prayed the psalms in their difficult time, if Jonah prayed the psalms in the belly of the big fish, if Jesus prayed the psalms when on the cross, then why on earth don't we? Particularly when some of us have difficulty, it's just the truth. Pray more than two sentences in a prayer, in a prayer service. I'm not trying to embarrass you. But sometimes we'll say or our worship leaders will admonish us. We can't get more out than a sentence or two. We can talk endlessly to our friends, but we can't get more than a sentence or two. Then let's find something that will trigger other thoughts within us, and let's find it in the Psalms. There must be something to this idea, because as soon as the early church had prayed the Psalms, the Bible says that the room shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and finally they began to speak the Word of God with boldness. Look with me at verse 29. And now, O Lord... Hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. When the prayer meeting is over, they get the answer to their prayer request. <laughs> and the amazing thing is this, that many people simply today don't see answers to prayer because they simply don't pray. What is it? You have not because you. But when you ask God for something, look out, 2016. He may just do it. And you'll be the most surprised person on the planet. I have to tell you this. I've been waiting to tell you this. In October, the middle of October, little two-year-old Liam Smith of our church was diagnosed with what is known as, you medical people will know this terminology, JMML leukemia. Let's show his photo if you have it. It's beyond belief that this precious little boy, that this could happen to him. His parents, Duran and Nicole Smith, reached out to the church and asked us to pray. And so here's what we did. That's why the church gathers to pray. We began making this need known to the church who prays on Sunday night. We prayed collectively as a body of believers. And then there were many Sunday nights that one person held a little prayer card in their hand and got with one other prayer partner and lifted it before the throne of God. And it was kept in a bowl in heaven, Revelation tells us. Those prayers are kept there. And it was lifted before the throne of God. And according to the doctors, his chances of survival were less than 50%. But the only difference is this, but God. Because we happen to be a people who believe that with God, all things are possible. And I want you to know this morning that one day this past week, his mother, Nicole, sent a text to our children's pastor, Brenda Hardiman, to say that the doctors this week have proclaimed Liam Smith to be cancer-free. In the name that is above every other name, the name of Jesus. Here's what I happen to believe to be true. Our God answers prayer. Say it with me. Our God answers 
It may not be on your timetable. The journey to your answer may not be the way you planned it, dear one, but the fact remains, God answers prayer. I want you to stand quickly with me as the prayer team takes your position. My dad used to sing, please stay where you are. No one exiting till we dismiss the service. Have reverence for the house of God, please. My dad used to sing the song, hallelujah, he's an answering God. Hallelujah, he's an answering God. I prayed in Jesus' name. And then the answer came. Hallelujah, he's an answering God. Once the early church started praying, as I bring this message to a close, verse 22 says, unity happened in the church. Once the early church started praying, guess what? Generosity began to happen in the church. Read it. The possibility of a prayer meeting is that God just might shake us. The possibility of a prayer meeting is that God will fill us in this place. The possibility of a prayer meeting is that God will bring answers when we pray. The possibility of a prayer meeting is that the church will be unified. They became as one. The possibility of a prayer meeting is that the church will receive a new power to speak the word of God with boldness. Church, it's time to pray. I said, church, it's time to pray, to intensify. It's time to intensify our prayer life individually and corporately. I told you I prepared another message until yesterday morning as I was finishing my thoughts here, putting these together last night. At just an interesting moment, pretty much at this point, bringing my thoughts to completion, friend of mine in this fellowship sent a one-word text to me. I deliberately, friend, I did not respond to you, and I'll tell you why later. The timing of it was absolutely impeccable, and I happen to know this person had a rough week. I don't know the details at all. I know they had a rough week. But this person sent me one word, and it was this, breakthrough exclamation point, breakthrough, exclamation point. At the moment he sent it, though I knew his week had been challenging, I wasn't really sure if he was speaking personally or prophetic for the church or or maybe both, I don't know. But I want to say this, I know many of you are calling on God for a breakthrough in 2016. You need God to show up in your circumstances like never before. And so I'm just, we have a prayer team of wonderful, dedicated people who know how to call upon the name of the Lord. And if you're asking God for a breakthrough, whether it's for salvation, maybe you're recognizing you're far from God and it's time to get your heart right with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's time to surrender to His authority. Live under His rule, His dominion, His power. Then why don't you come this morning and confess your sins and say, I need the Lord Jesus in my life. Maybe this is your year of breakthrough. Maybe you've determined you need God like never before. Some of you are saying, Dan, I'm in a but God moment. Only the Lord can fix the situation I'm in. If that's true for you, I'm going to ask you as Pastor Brent leads us in song in just a moment. We're going to sing something of faith today because I absolutely believe nothing is impossible with our God. I wish I had the ability to transfer the faith that God has put in my heart to you to believe for 2016 that nothing is impossible with God. 
that which has looked dark for you, that which has looked like it's absolutely going to end in destruction for you. Nothing is impossible with God. And so I want us to have our faith built today as we, as we sing. And as we sing, step out from where you Just let someone pray with you. They just want to touch you in the name of the Lord. And they want to pray for you and believe that God's going to come through for you in this year. I think there's some folks in the balcony, prayer partners back there. If you want to step there, let them pray with you. Just come on right now as we sing. Come quickly.